Captain's Log, Stardate 73622.4 Life aboard Lone Star Station has been anything but ordinary, while Commander Lisa and Commander Eric are away at Starfleet Command. Meanwhile, Ambassador Fogel of Kessel joins us. I look forward to what we may be able to learn from one another. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to... We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Well, that was kind of awkward having that transmission come up over that. Um, sorry, guys. Uh, I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and I have um, a returning friend. I have Ambassador Fogel. Welcome again to Lone Star. Actually, this is your first time at Lone Star Station. Uh, last time I was on the Vigilant, so welcome to Lone Star Station as we, you know, hang out and talk about some voyages, talk about some. Star Trek stuff. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. It's nice to get a promotion. Yeah. I don't think I was an ambassador the last time. I think you were just like a Jedi Master <laughs> in like that distant galaxy that was far, far away or something like that. Yeah. I've, I've now assimilated into into this uh, <clears throat> this galaxy. Yeah, yeah. You're, um, as I said in the uh, the introduction, you know, the ambassador from Kessel. So um, glad to glad to have you. Anyway, so um, last time that you and I were having a conversation, we were talking about uh, this this turf war. We were talking about some Trek wars, and uh, that was yeah. that was actually a really popular episode, um, and it was a lot of fun to to record and uh, chit chatting with you. So, um, as as I said before, you you run your own podcast, the Contingency Plan, and uh, yep. how has that been going for you with your podcast? Oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's been going really good. We've, uh, we've certainly upped the, uh, the listener count, although we've been a little bit blank the past couple weeks just because of, uh, sickness, you know, I caught a cold and then caught the flu and then my brother caught the flu and we, we were finally able to record last week and looking to record again this week. So, but no, it's, it's actually been, uh, been very steady, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to talk about, you know. I know you have fun with this podcast too, so I think you get it, and you just grow grow these little eggs until they're chickens. Yes, or you know whatever, yeah, whatever kind of egg you have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's there's some egg out there. It's like probably like a space egg, a a space chicken that we have yet to discover. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I gotta say. Um, for one of your more recent episodes, in, in, unless it was your more, most recent episode, I can't remember. Uh, when you were ranking all the the Star Wars movies, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that was <clears throat> maybe one or two episodes ago. Uh, that's always a tough one. Yeah, that's always a tough one to to rank movies. I mean, you could do the same thing for for the Trek movies too. And uh, there's always going to be differing differing opinions and. 
Uh, me and my brother certainly have <clears throat> some differing opinions on that, but uh, it's funny. We recorded that episode in advance and then all of a sudden like every other podcast did the same thing it's like crap (laughs) i didn't have an original idea at all (laughs) well you know um i mean someone's got to do it and if someone's going to do it then i mean everyone else should do it i mean peer pressure let's hop on the bandwagon everyone's doing it (laughs) you know why not exactly yeah and we'll, we'll we will most definitely be doing a a trek movie ranking or or something like that and maybe we'll do like a round table and have you know you come back mr ambassador and have my, my commanders come in and we'll just have one big round table talking about the trek movies and kind of seeing where everyone ranks it that would be probably wild fun and dangerous all in that order yeah yeah where do your where do your loyalties lie yeah are you with the original cast are you with the next gen cast are you with the with J.J. Trek in the Kelvin timeline, man. Oh, or yeah, curveball, exactly. curveball fan films. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, you know, um, apart from the movies and, you know, you doing your movie rankings and us eventually doing that here on this show, uh, you know, we've been going through, um, you know, us and, and the listeners, and I know I was talking to you, uh, you know, pre-show, that you have been uh, watching Star Trek Picard, and we've certainly been doing Picard recap episodes. So how have you been uh, liking Picard so far, the, the TV show on, you know, CBS All Access? Yeah, so I, I, I was a little behind, but I finally uh, caught back up, and I, I think... I think an initial take was I was very, very into the episodes each week, um, very, very attentive to all the little things. Uh, and then I started realizing, you know what, I kind of like, you know, this character and I like this character. And, and all of a sudden it really became, it's like, you know, I actually really enjoy this show because my, my first sort of thoughts were like, I don't know. I don't know if I could rewatch it. Uh, and I think I think I talked to you or talked to somebody about. <clears throat> I, I just hoped it wasn't like the the Game of Thrones, the final season, where I was on the edge of my seat watching it, but I was like, I'll never watch this again. I've finally come to the conclusion it just left me too hollow, and I don't want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. But this, I, I think I, I think I could definitely rewatch. But uh, there there are certainly some things brewing right now that um, may maybe. Maybe I wouldn't have exactly done, but I mean, what does it matter what I want? I'm not a fancy director or anything. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I do like it. I, I think I think it's you know it's a little dark. Um, I did like the old the old kind of bouncy happiness of uh, of uh, like next gen and even season two where we had all the PSAs with Wesley Crusher. <laughs> um, there's there's still a special place for that kind of stuff. And, sure. You know, I, I, I know I said to you, it's like, uh, you know, be, because of the times we're in and, you know, a lot of dark shows, dark movies and, you know, perceptions of things are a little dark, but it, it, it would have been kind of nice to have a, have a happy, happier show to kind of highlight the good that could happen. But, uh, but I, I do like it. I, I'm glad to see Patrick Stewart back. Yeah. Any excuse to see sir pat do his thing as picard i mean really any of his characters yep uh, is just it's a wonderful opportunity to 
to see him, you know, in, especially in this new uh, stage of Picard's life. I mean, it's roughly 20 years has passed for, for him and for his character. So, uh, yeah, there's there's some stuff. And I'm, I, I was telling Eric, and I think I even mentioned this on one of the more recent Engage episodes, I'm reserving my full wrath, my full... Uh, you know, opinion of the show uh, for, you know, once once episode 10 airs. So, you know, at the time of this particular episode that, you know, we're doing right now, you know, episode 6 has just, you know, aired. So we, we're we not going to be talking about it yet. I mean, that's going to be for, you know, once Engage drops here in just a few days with our review of that for episode 6. And I think it's going to be called The Impossible Box or something like that. And uh, okay. uh that, that's one thing, like, I don't know, it's not a nitpick, but have you just noticed that, like, between... Oh, actually, no, you haven't noticed, because you were telling me that you haven't really seen Discovery yet. No. So, Discovery has... That's the one I haven't watched. So, Discovery has some very convoluted names, especially in, in Season 1 of Discovery. They're, like, like six, seven-word-long, uh, you know, sh- episode titles, or whatever, and... I kind of feel like that's kind of what's happening. Like these just weird names. I don't know. It's just, I'll stop. Well, you, you know, I, I haven't been uh, very good at keeping up with, with all the podcasts I listen to, but I remember seeing <clears throat> your, your one come up for the last episode. And I was like, wait a minute, why did he name his episode that? And then I, I finally got on and to watch it. And I was like, Oh, that's the name of the episode? Yep. Yeah. Are you referring to Stardust City Rag? What was rag? it? Something about a rag? Stardust City Rag. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of get it, but I just, I, I remember seeing your head, your like headline or your, your uh, title mm-hmm. and then just looking at it when it popped up, I was like, oh, um, <clears throat> okay, sure. Whatever. Let's just get into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're 50, we're, we're halfway through the season. We're 50% of the way there. And um, so far, I have been enjoying it. Uh, it's been a mixed bag for me, and I've talked about that to a certain extent, like with some of the ratings and the comments that I make on the Engage episodes. Uh, but just, yeah. you know, I don't want to get uh, bogged down just in Picard, like with what we're doing right now. But, you know, what has been some of the, you know, the reactions that you've had uh, thus far with what we've been seeing with the show? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I gotta say that, uh, Patrick Stewart's acting has been really fantastic. There are episodes where it feels like there's just so much more personality being displayed because obviously when he was a captain of the enterprise, you know, you got to be a little bit more reserved, you know, you're, you're the leader, but now he can kind of laugh at things and, and engage a little bit more, which which is nice. Um, I really liked uh, uh, what was her name, uh, Raffi. Yes, Michelle Hurd's character. Okay, I yeah, I I really enjoy her a lot. Um, I think that <clears throat> that she <laughs> again I, the acting in general is just really good. But you know, I, I really enjoy her character. Um, we sort of had the, the added little, uh, stitch in, in the last episode, you know, some of her, you know, life being brought up and, and sort of how it was all torn down and she's 
confronting a little bit of the past and, and maybe trying to move on to the future. Um, our ship captain, uh, Rios, he's, he's great. Uh, he might be one of, one of my favorite additions. I like his little, uh, you know, his little, uh, holographic buddies, just like, <laughs> I don't know if they're different shreds of his personality or, uh, or, you know, I don't know his, just something that he's he's created to cope with his own existential crises mm-hmm. um but you know that 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 was a fun little wrinkle when um when the long-haired version uh, his little weapons guy you know pops up and yeah. that was that was fun that was fun banter uh but uh y- you know we, we did talk a little bit about one twist i i don't i don't know how much spoilage because again i'm i'm really behind but uh, you know, we we had we obviously had Bruce Maddox and sort of the conclusion of Bruce Maddox and and that whole that whole thing was as soon as like we got to it, I was like, I think this is going to happen, but I really hope it doesn't. And then it's oh, it happened. Yeah. So th- there there's there's something big brewing here, and I kind of hope it's bigger than um, you know just the perception of of the potential Borg. Right. I just, I, I hope there's something bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that, that this sort of thing that's kind of brewing isn't just a season one thing. I hope that there's, you yeah. know, some stuff that's going to span like a second and a third season. I believe, I believe I read that Sir Patrick Stewart has already talked about there being upwards of three seasons and that they're going to be starting to film season two uh, in short order, I, I believe he was saying uh, season two was going to start sometime in March of 2020. So I mean, it's at the time of us recording. Wow. That's like wow, like days away, basically, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'd be really cool. I mean, especially with all the Star Trek that's popping up. Uh, I mean, we we've already heard that. Uh, in fact, like Star Trek Discovery season three just wrapped production. And um, they're going to be starting production on Discovery Season 4, I think, later this summer. And allegedly, I haven't been able to confirm it, but allegedly uh, the Star Trek Section 31 show has already been picked up for a second season. And they haven't even filmed a minute of footage of Season 1 of Section 31. Wow. And I don't know too many people that are... are you know, hyped about section 31. There might be people listening right now might be super hyped, but you know, just keeping my ear to the ground, like with Twitter and, and other forms of social media, there hasn't been too much excitement. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how it develops as well as how season one of a section 31 show could be. So anyway, yeah, but it's, it's exciting to a certain extent, you know, with where we are with star Trek, all this stuff popping up, uh, after having a drought for you know a decade and a half, it's kind of like Star Wars yeah. in a sense too. I mean, like with Star Wars, it would like you every you know decade and a half or or several decades or whatever, there'd be a, a, a series of movies, there'd be books, and then the books and the other stuff's gone. But now you guys are getting flooded with stuff. You got like a, an amusement park. Yeah, you have you know an original series on Disney Plus. I mean, all this stuff. It's cool. Yeah, it's it's a good time for 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 sci-fi in in general uh, right now, but uh, but yeah, Star Star Wars has been getting 
probably a little too much at times, but you know, we're starting to settle down now and, and get back into the literature. But yeah, no, I, I actually didn't know about the section 31, uh, show, but, um, I guess I really need to dive into discovery if they're, <laughs> if they're getting that, that far ahead, uh, better, better catch up. Yeah. I mean, you do what you do. We can, we can talk, we can process if we need to. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, if uh, the intro to this episode was any indication, um, as as well as the the title of this episode, as you clicked on it to listen to it, uh, we're going to be talking about the Borg today, um, and resistance may or may not be futile or futile, however you want to call that. <laughs> and uh, anyway, when I know that when I when I pitched this idea to you, David. There was um, not apprehension, but it was like a hmm and a eh kind of thing going on. <laughs> oh man! Well, I think um, I think watching Trek as a kid, because the the first time we saw the Borg, if I'm remembering correctly, it was Q who arranged that, and I I, I think that. I think that they were just, they're plain scary. I, I think I got the implication that it's like, you know, we, we've got a lot of enemies here. You know, we've got the Klingons, we've got, you know, the Romulans, we've got, you know, uh, others. And, but these Borg, man, they're, they're pretty scary. Um, and I remember when, you know, they, they took Picard and the rescue of Picard and some of the fallout from from his involvement i mean we saw that in in uh, ds9 i don't remember if that was the pilot episode but uh you know cisco being very melodramatic towards uh picard <laughs> i was at wolf uh ah, crap i never remembered the number <laughs> three five nine uh three five nine you know i had it on the tip of my tongue but i couldn't just say it uh so it there there's even with like you know your stuff with the Dominion, I don't think people were as de- well. At least I felt like it. They weren't quite as demoralized as when you bring up the Borg. And um, I I don't know. I I I always just I root for underdogs, and the Federation just seemed like such an underdog. But you know, again, some of the some of the apprehension was just again because I'm I'm watching Picard, and I'm like I I kind of think it's going to play a big part here but uh i just you know first contact we killed these guys can we just move on get get another enemy <laughs> yeah and, and so just to, to back up with this um especially for anyone that is listening that might not be familiar with with the borg so the yeah. borg was uh an enemy that was kind of teased and partially introduced uh for the mo- actually they were introduced in the season two episode q who and this was uh, something that Eric and I talked about in our uh, Best of Picard episode that we did not too long ago, leading up to the Star Trek Picard uh, series premiere. And it was in this that we talk about that Q was trying to show Picard and the crew of the Enterprise just how woefully um, unprepared they are for exploration and discovering things and you know how outgunned they are and getting to the point where Picard is essentially begging Q for mercy 
begging Q yeah. for help, which is at this point, I mean, just really in general, that is very uncharacteristic of Picard. Would you agree with that? But, oh yeah, like with, yeah, with, towards definitely. towards Q, not just asking for help, but specifically towards Q. Yeah, 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 definitely. So we, it's it's in this episode that we we're seeing this stuff, and you know we don't really hear much in the way of dialogue that I can immediately recall, but they go they take this information, they take this experience back to uh, to Starfleet. And that's where there's like preparation that's kind of taking place. And the next time we really see him is the season three finale, the season four premiere, Best of Both Worlds, part one and two. Yep. So did you, just out of curiosity, David, did you watch this episode like as a kid back in the 90s when it originally aired? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of the things that... <clears throat> You know, me and uh, my family tried to do things, you know, as a family. And one of it was just like, you know, a night of TV. Not every night, but just a night. And that's, you know, we watched a lot of X-Files. Uh, but yeah, when when uh, when that came out, God, what, what year was that even? So... Say best of both worlds. So that would have been, what, 1990? 1990. So you know, I, I, I might have. I think I was a little bit later on in it, uh, because I, I that I would have been very young at that point. So I, I, I think I caught you know some of the later seasons, but I remember watching. It would have, it would have been like a rerun, because um, whatever channel we had before Next Generation, they always had an episode of the original series. So you watched Kirk and then you watched Picard. So more than likely I probably would have watched that on as a as a rerun, not not like, you know, brand new. Okay. Okay, so I've I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, watching this in syndication cuz that's kind of just what they did. I mean, it would air regularly, but it was always in syndication. And I can remember being very young and watching a rerun or something of this and having nightmares for weeks after watching Best of Both Worlds <laughs> 1 and 2. Yeah. I mean, when you're, gosh, like six years old and you're watching that, I mean, that was just me. I don't know if any of y'all were that age or around that age whenever you first saw it, but it was it was freaking scary as heck. I mean, you just see Picard turn around, and he's a Borg. Yeah. At the very end of of, of the the first episode, like, oh my god. Yeah. That, that's that's. I mean, obviously, you know, kind of, or at least I knew it <clears throat> turned out okay because you know I was ahead a little bit, but still, that's powerful. That's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was at this point, and then there's also a later point in the show where they weren't sure if you know Patrick Stewart was going to be renewing his contract so this would have been an out for him basically um, and for Riker to basically take the captaincy because like they were like yeah 
it was it was more or less a, a Riker ep- centric episode of Best of Both Worlds, uh, one and two, and anyway, that's a whole other argument. I think I've made that argument before, but I want to leave that alone with the whole Riker being a captain, not being a captain kind of thing. So, um, I want to just well, so so you don't think it should have. You don't think it should have taken him like you know thirty years to be a captain or uh, fifteen? No, no. We all, we all, we all like Riker. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. He's a good guy. But l- let me just say, let me read um, read and go over a few things when it comes to the Borg, so we can kind of have a semi basic understanding of them. Uh, again, especially for for new fans, so. Uh, the Borg, they were this, um, cy- they were cybernetic humanoids. They're a pseudo-species, basically, uh, that originally came from the Delta Quadrant. So we have Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. Some people I've seen ask, like, well, why didn't they use the C? And, like, I'm like, well, it's not like that in the Greek alphabet. <laughs> so, anyway. So there was no, there was no true individual that actually existed in what they call the Borg Collective, um, except for the Borg Queen that was created much, much later in in the series. So um, they had this hive mind, and this hive mind connected them all together, and all the information, all the lived experience, the understanding, all the stuff that anyone had ever learned, done, accomplished, now belonged to this hive mind to help them... Uh, you know, share and learn and stuff like that. And the goal of the Borg was to um, attain this quote-unquote perfection through uh, forcing people to be assimilated. So they don't get a choice. They're just like some weird rubber band, you know, swatch thing that goes in their neck and nanites and stuff happens. And that's how the Borg would gain, their, again, their knowledge, how they would develop their technology and other advancements. And um, as a result, the Borg was a species, question mark, that um, were considered to be probably one of the most powerful or perhaps even the most feared, uh, I guess, factions or entities in the galaxy, at least within Star Trek, without really being a a species at all so I don't know it's kind of weird like you are a species but you're not a species within Star Trek yeah and their their adaptability was uh, was probably just as frightening because I mean you look at our the first kind of real battle encounter um and we we couldn't really bat them back. I mean, every everything that you know Starfleet had was, you know, you, you think you have all this advancement, but the Borg again through this assimilation process, assimilating not only people but technology, they were just so far ahead. So it's kind of like, you know, you're you're just a little fly, and they're here to here to swat you. Absolutely. And, uh, again, that that. That just that just made it so much more frightening. Yeah, and resistance is futile. <laughs> so fun fact about that. Um, so Patrick Stewart, being British, said "futile" 
because that's just how he rolls. <laughs> and when uh, Jerry Ryan, who played the Borg Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager, uh, whenever she w- delivered that line in Scorpion, like her debut episode, again a two-parter, she was told not to say futile. She was told to say futile. And it really rubbed her the wrong way. What do you think? I mean, wh- what camp are you on? Are you in the futile or futile camp? Uh, I God, that you know, that's kind of a good question. I, I guess, uh, I guess, honestly, I probably could slip into either one. I, kind of like, I kind of like futile. I, I, there's, maybe it's just because you know of how it was delivered by Patrick Stewart. So. I don't know. We don't have to Americanize everything. We can have other other words, crazy English pronunciations. It's fine. You think so? Well, as long as it's not aluminium, because that's just insane. <laughs> Did you hear me talking about that? Oh <laughs> uh, God, no. I've just heard it heard it through all you know, just various <laughs> things. Mocha. Have you ever heard heard mocha? I've heard mocha, but I've never heard of maca. No, no, no. I, 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 or mocha. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's a weird pronunciation they got, too. So, But it's all good. But f- futile, I think, is... Uh, I don't know. I, I think I would probably be in that camp. Caramel. Caramel. There's a fight right there. I don't want to fight you today, Chase. Well, I don't want to fight today. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, we can go do some, like, you know, wharf calisthenics program on the in the hollow suite later on yeah i mean i'll, I'll take the skull guy uh, <laughs> i'll take you, know, you. that's cool <laughs> do you do you want the, do you want the battle glove or the sword Ooh, um i kind of want both can, i mean can i can i hide the glove the glove like in some shrubbery and like, like go slice someone, pick up the glove, and like go deck someone in the face, because that'd be pretty cool. Hey, you you can. It's you know you can do whatever calisthenics you want. I will. I'd be the guy who just you know who just goes in there. Here, here's a sword, and then just take out a phaser. <laughs> well, that's not a knife. <laughs> you brought you brought a knife to a gunfight, man. That's another. That's another conversation about Star Trek stuff. Not today. Hey, Not today. You, you got to fence sometimes. All right. Sometimes you just have to do a little fencing. I'm not even talking about that. I mean, Sulu can do whatever the heck he wants to do. No, man. I'm talking about freaking <laughs> Elnor, and on planet Vashti, with Star Trek Picard. <laughs> like seriously, you're gonna go take on some yeah. dudes with your your little rapier sword thing or katana, whatever that was. Focus, focus. We're talking about the Borg, not sword fighting. But I, I pro- no warrior nuns. <laughs> hey, Do- all I know is Picard has an entire harem of warrior nuns, and they're awesome. So okay, they're all awesome, and he has a son who's also a warrior nun. So okay, That's great. since we're bringing up these warrior nuns, basically, <laughs> let's so let's just imagine for a second. That the Borg, they come back in Star Trek Picard, and there's a cube, it, and it 
shows up right outside planet Vashti. And for some reason, they get super interested in these warrior nuns. Okay? Crouching tiger, hidden Romulan. Right there, okay? And, <laughs> and they decide that these warrior nuns are a threat. And they decide to assimilate them. Does that or does that not give them an advantage? Does that add somehow add a new quality to the Borg? So, I mean, I guess they could be brutally honest about everything. Because apparently that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> listen, if, if we had Borg just out there with katanas, uh, you know, flipping around... I mean, I think that might be game over. I'm just saying. You are an idiot. Here, I'm going to chop your neck off. (laughs) Well, yeah. So I don't know. It it actually brings up an interesting thought. So we've seen Worf uh, fight Borg with his weapons. I I don't remember if he's he's ever taken like a batleth to him, but I know he's, he's had his knife. Um... I think that was called a, a, a I'm Mechleth. Kinda, Mechleth, yeah. yeah I, I'm glad you're here because I can't remember anything. Um, I, I don't know that we've really had too much successful on-air um, hand-to-hand combat with Borg. Uh, I do remember in uh, in First Contact, you know, one of our one of our uh, our. Uh, officers on the uh, on the enterprise trying to beat one back with the butt of his rifle that didn't work out too well for him so uh, I don't know I don't know if uh, I don't know if our warrior nuns would exactly stand up to the numbers of Borg but that would be an interesting uh, interesting question there used to be a show on uh, on some network about where they pitted a bunch of you know like hey we're gonna pit Billy the kid up against like a mobster and see who wins sure statistically do you remember that? Yeah. So maybe we could start a show there. Would would the warrior nun would the warrior nuns beat the board back? I don't know. You know this this brings up another thing, like with us going down like these like rabbit trails and stuff like that. So you know one one thing about the Borg is that they adapt. We that's one thing that we learn right. early on in our encounters with the Borg is they adapt and. They have to develop these uh, rotating modulations uh, for phaser fire Mm -hmm. and uh, the phaser rifles and things like that. But I don't want to nitpick, but something that I am genuinely curious about is we've seen this hand-to-hand combat, right? We've seen Worf using his mechleth and, and chopping some stuff off. We've seen, you know, the butt of a rifle, a phase rifle, uh, go up against them, uh, and a, a slew of other things like slamming them into terminals. So, if yeah, a, a, this is genuine a genuine question. If if the Borg can adapt to phaser fire, disruptor fire, can they adapt to physical combat? Do you think they just plug into the Matrix and learn Kung Fu like Neo? It's possible. I mean, they do have their just, they have their own like regeneration pods. So why the heck not, man? Well, th- th- that is that is an interesting uh, an interesting thought because like the the thing that I was thinking about is so there were there were parts of some of the confrontations with the Borg where 
they're literally creating like an energy shield around themselves to stop the phaser fire. And I guess if you could produce your own little personal body shield against phaser fire, why couldn't you do it against, you know, some sort of weaponry, hand weaponry? Um, I mean, Picard's able to take one out with a, uh, with a Tommy gun, but that was because they didn't really have that contingent plan for. So I don't know. I mean, that's, that's right. That wasn't even a cheap plug today, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I mean, you would think that they would, that they would be able to adapt in some form or fashion hand-to-hand combat or maybe it's just too simple that they can i i I don't know okay that'd be i mean that's something that's very interesting i mean like even thinking about this too that although we're introduced you know in in season two of next gen which is you know the 24th century we've experience them in multiple centuries within Star Trek. So we're seeing them in late 21st century with First Contact. Yeah. We're seeing them in the 22nd century with uh, Archer's crew later on. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. We don't see them in the 23rd century that I'm aware of. I, no, hold on. I take that back. So we we are we more or less get a reference to them being in the 23rd century when it comes to the movie Star Trek Generations, the beginning of it, where Guinan and the other El-Orians are escaping from the Borg destroying their planet, and that uh, the Enterprise B is helping with that rescue, and that's where all stuff goes sideways. But primarily, they're in the 24th century, and now here we are in Star Trek Picard about to enter the 25th century, and all we have is the artifact. We have this old Borg cube. So they have been a consistent foe in all of the, you know, live-action Trek series, pretty much. With with trying to screw things up. Uh, so I think it's fair to say that this species, air quotes, is a very, very significant foe as it relates to what it means for Star Trek Picard and future series. So, I don't know. Any any other thoughts with that? I, I, I think that they're, they're one of the wells that you can keep coming back to um, because of the adaptability, the, the potential to continue to keep coming. Um, you know, obviously, right now in our in our most recent scope with Picard, we have, you know, we had the sort of cataclysm that's that's really dispersed the Romulans. We haven't really heard too much of the. I don't think we've heard anything about Klingons so far. Um, so, I, I think that I think you you could still make just a, a, a scary enemy out of out of, you know, the Borg and. And, uh, you know, again, you can just go to the well with them. I, again, maybe I would have went a different way, and, and we don't even know. This might not even be the way they're really going, but uh, we shall see. Yeah, smoke and daggers. Sm- sorry, smoke and mirrors, cloak and daggers type stuff could be going on Yep. with this. Um, yeah, I was going to say something, and I totally lost it. It's great. 
How, hey. how dare you? Prof- professionals. We're a couple professionals. Yeah, yeah, we totally are. So they say, at least. <sighs> but yeah, we, we don't know what what that is. Um, you know, what the, the actual end game is going to be. And speaking of end game, uh, that was the series finale of Voyager. And, you know, the, the Borg show up initially in Star Trek The Next Generation, but then because Janeway and the Voyager crew are way, way deep in the Delta Quadrant, which is where we learn these folks originated from, we know that we're going to end up, you know, running into these these jokers. Yeah. So when we when we look at Star Trek Voyager, which aired from nineteen ninety five to two thousand one we initially had this this uh, group, uh, this faction, if you will, called the Kazon, and they were supposed to be the big bads of Voyager, and they were annoying as heck. First, first starting out, and then we eventually get to the Borg in uh, in the season three finale, uh, Scorpion Part One. So. When you think about that, what what was your impression, or what is your impression about them going from next gen to Voyager and kind of taking center stage there and being more pronounced there? So I'll, I'll be completely honest. I think I think Voyager was probably one of my least favorite of of all of the uh, the Trek. Uh, shows I did watch it. I probably at, at least rewatched it um, another time at one point. But it's it's been quite <clears throat> quite some time since I really have have dived into that. Um, I I think that the biggest contribution from a lot of that was introducing Seven of Nine, and I do like that character. And I was even glad to see her in Picard. I was glad to see her kind of come back, although, my God, what a terrible backstory she has now. Uh, even, how could you make your backstory any more terrible or Well, here you go. So um, I, I, did, I did enjoy her, her introduction in there, and I thought it, it brought a <clears throat> kind of a new wrinkle because we, we saw this with, um, with Picard, and uh, I guess... I'm trying to think. It, it wasn't so terribly pronounced in the series, aside from the um, the one episode where we see him go back to the chateau, back home, and fight his brother, you know, and and you know start the healing process. But he wasn't a Borg for a very long time. When you when you talk about Seven, you, you kind of have this transformation throughout the the series and her attempt to to rehumanize a bit because i don't remember when she was when she was assimilated i feel like it was pretty young wasn't it she was a child whenever she was originally assimilated and okay yeah uh, she was if i'm not mistaken she was related to an admiral a starfleet admiral uh her real name is annika hansen okay yeah and that's right uh, yeah, so she was assimilated as a very young child, but like you said, Picard had a very brief uh, time being assimilated, uh, being a being a Borg drone or, or whatever you want to call him. Yeah. 
but her her sort of rehumanization process and uh, we we saw sort of Janeway in a way sort of uh, help foster that um, I, I thought that was <clears throat> that was a really nice part of, of the series that I can that I can remember a little bit more vividly the actual Borg threat and you know this this is the the weirdest thing I remember so much more about characters there than plots and it, it's kind of like I just I can't I can barely remember the Borg really being there. I just remember other things until the end. Um, so I, I guess, I guess from my memory, I, I can't, I can't really recall much more than, than really more of the plot of seven of nine. I, I got to go back and watch that, man. I got to go back and rewatch it and give it a, give it a, give it the good old college try. Maybe now that I'm older, I I'll get more out of it. Hopefully. <laughs> sure. Sure. And, you know, you're, you're asking about like, or trying to clarify when, when seven, when, when Annika Hansen became assimilated or how long she'd been assimilated and, you know, she was a child. Uh, one thing that we learn through the viewing and the experiencing and the unfolding of Borg stories is that the Borg don't procreate. There's no procreation process with them. And that it's they only advance their their population by assimilating, and we see in you know very early on in Next Gen that there are babies that have been assimilated, and that is that is a nightmare to me. Like having yeah. having a two year old daughter. Like I, I can remember holding my daughter like as soon as she was born, and I can only imagine what that could have been like for like those parents, like regardless of the species, right? To have their their infant child just snatched from them and then automatically assimilated, and part of like what the the Borg did was they would put them in these maturation chambers, like these like you know dresser drawers basically until they could incubate and grow quicker like the process was designed to grow them quicker so i don't know just that's just a nightmare to me like just think just thinking yeah. about that it, it it just it adds to the it adds to the horror of what of what they are you know and I don't know that we've necessarily had any any other enemy, and at least in this universe, that just <clears throat> wants that that perfection so bad that they're going to literally force it uh, upon everyone else. There are some parallels. I mean, not <clears throat> the same, but there are some parallels to some of the the old uh, extended universe Star Wars books with a with a species called the Yuuzhan Vong. They're a warrior race and you know they they basically came to you know the the Star Wars galaxy the main galaxy here to kill them all because that's what their creed told them to do and there was no reasoning with them about that they literally made it a religion of violence and so there's no reasoning with that there's no reasoning with the Borg um, although I mean <clears throat> I'm going to misremember the name, but uh, they did make a Borg friend. What was his name? Hugh? 
Hugh the Borg. Well, that was that was one of the friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hugh, so you can make you can make a friend or two. You got a friend in me. Oh goodness. You got a friend in me. Okay, I'll stop. Nothing like making friends with, with, uh, with crazy machine people. But I mean, like your like to your point, like making friends, like Picard and company use that opportunity to kind of, you know, give the bird basically to to the Borg. Yep. Like even though Picard had been going through his own healing process, like could you like it was this idea at this time, like could you actually convert or yeah. deassimilate uh, a Borg back to like a non-Borg, like whatever their species actually was, and yeah, you know, Hugh, in this case, was like the first experiment with that, and you know, we're, we've seen, uh, I think, one episode with Hugh so far in Star Trek: Picard, uh, played by uh, the actor Jonathan DeLarco, uh, who reprised his role from the original Next Generation episodes, um, I Borg. And um, also uh, Descent, part one and two, if I'm not mistaken. So, which which that that brings up something interesting to me. And I, it, this might take a little bit of of a runway for me to get to it, but I, I, I'm interested to hear what you think about this. So. Picard, Jean-Luc Picard, became Locutus. He became that was his Borg name. He wasn't given a number designation like the others. He was meant to be set apart. Uh, we later learned, especially in, in First Contact. Uh, first Contact being a show that aired in or, or, or for, uh, First Contact, the movie came out in 1996, and then you know at one point in the movie, one of his crewmen is assimilated. And he chooses to do nothing. There's nothing we could have done for him. Like, we can't reverse it. And then we get to Star Trek Voyager. Again, seven of nine. And they they trip a switch. They do some, like, stuff to sever her from the hive. And the EMH doctor, or just the doctor, uh, does some of his, his stuff and is able to basically get most of her humanity back. So when you look at what happened to Picard and the decision that he made about his crewman and then what we see with Seven of Nine, what do you do with that? Oh, you know, I, I think, I, I feel like, and, and this might not necessarily be popular opinion, but I feel like I, I've... Personally, I love First Contact. It is probably my favorite Star Trek movie. Same. But not only that particular moment, but also when he Tommy gunned the Borg in the holodeck. Mm-hmm. I think his trauma was so deep, it actually planted that seed of hatred for anything Borg. And I think that I think that the moment with the crewman he 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 literally could not see a way it was for him it was futile it was futile to 
try and save that guy or, hey, you know what? You could save him later. No, no, no. It's futile. I think, I think that, unfortunately, his experience created a bit of a weakness. And I don't know what they're going to do with that if we continue a Borg line in Picard. But that movie displayed a lot of a lot of anger, a lot of the, the process, because he's, he's not a guy who goes to Counselor Troy and just explains all of his feelings. He goes to the Chateau and fights with his brother, okay? And then he's fixed until first contact. But, you know, even, even a little bit later on, and I'm, I'm forgetting the character's name, the, the woman that was from the 21st century. Um, oh, goodness. Oh, Lily from First Contact? Yeah, okay, Lily. When they're they're talking and they're talking about abandoning the ship, she's just like, abandon the ship, and he just, he goes nuts, and he, you know, knocks glass down, knocks a few of his little ship models down. <clears throat> there, there's, there's just a lot, I feel like, that was deep-seated there, where even there's a shred of his psyche that says, this is futile. There's something futile about this that I can't, I can't resist this totally. But at the end, he did get his kind of um, kind of happy ending. Uh, you know, was able to to snuff out this this queen that had tormented him and save save data. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. Like, you can you'll you'll choose to save one crew member. And value that life more than the other. And it's more than this this like red shirt nonsense, okay? It's <laughs> yeah. It's it's the frame of mind that, that he's in, to which you point out like was was the trauma that he experienced from his assimilation. I just think it's very interesting that there's that we're we're seeing at like two, perhaps three points in nineties trek where there's this argument or this question really, not even argument, just this question of can a person be saved that's been assimilated right. by the Borg? I don't know. I mean, they, they were able to save Picard. They were able to save uh, Seven of Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Hugh, in a way. I, I, I think it's possible, but I, I, think, it, I think it might be a, a, a tough, tough task, especially for those who have been assimilated for a long period of time. But then... You get into Picard and into the cube, and they're they're actually trying, seemingly trying to do that with uh, what do they they called them the the unknown, uh, or the unnamed? Yes, the unnamed. Yes, the nameless. And, the nameless. You know, we kind of the nameless. There you go. So we we kind of get a little bit of the repercussions of how that works. I mean, God, you you've got the Romulans that were literally basically invalids so i don't know i think that's a i think that's a a bit of a choppy question because we've had maybe it's a little bit of a plot hole i guess we've definitely had instances where it's been been done but then we've also had instances now where you know it's it seems a lot harder than that yeah and that was that was part of a a question or a thought that I, I had too of like what what is the impact of the Borg on these different species because 
I mean, we, we've we've seen humans, you know, with with Annika and with with uh, Jean Luc, and now we're seeing Ramda, uh, one of these Romulan people, like one of the like a former Romulan Borg, basically, and and how her and her uh, her kin basically have have responded to assimilation. It's it's there's been a mental break of some kind which is consistent but i guess it's it the consistency of the mental break is much more pronounced with romulans compared to humans or terrans or yeah. whatever right uh, anyway it's very it's very interesting um just to see that that at play um and i don't want to just go around in circles with it but it, it is you gotta admit it's it's kind of interesting whether it's a plot hole or not it really gets you thinking about life trauma and the decisions that we make and the impact that this stuff has on who we are right yeah very true <laughs> so I don't know man being a part of a collective that god just sounds scary but you get like you get like a cool little bed though, man. You stand up. You get like a standing bed. You're way more productive. With the with the electric light behind your head. <laughs> what were those things called, man? Like um They were oh, always at like Spencer's uh, gifts, man. Yeah, I can't remember what the what, I can't remember. But yeah, you're right. There are two kinds. It'd be, what a bed. It'd, it'd be like a ball. That you could, you know, like put your fingers on and like it would go to wherever your fingertips were. Or it would be like a picture, kind of like wall mount kind of thing like we see in in the Borg alcoves. What were those things called? This is going to drive me nuts. I don't know, man. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, apparently it helps with the beauty sleep. Yeah. Uh, you know, the recharge. Yeah. So you do realize that as we're talking about this, there are people yelling at us. They're like, it's this, you idiot. So I've done it a few times on, on my podcast where like, I'll forget the name of something. So I'll make up a name for it. There was one recently, um, uh, it was a planet in, in the Mandalorian series where I just made up a close name and I was like, I know it's not this. Don't hate me for it. But you know, if you have the answer, you can always let me know. <laughs> it's a it's a lightning electric wall ball. That's what we we'll call it. Yeah, yeah. That seems legit. It's too legit to quit right there. <laughs> oh, good grief! So one one thing that that I talked about a little earlier is, and and we've kind of gone around, and 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 with it. You know, with with it being introduced in next gen, um, they were they were more of a mi- a mystery, and then they certainly took uh, front and center with first contact. But we learn more and more about their backstory uh, throughout Voyager. I know that you said that you haven't watched watched it recently. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to storytelling, okay, and this is kind of like broad strokes. So it's, I'm not going to even just limit you just to Star Trek. Do you, do you find it beneficial to take those deeper dives into 
like the lore and the backstory of your characters and villains? Or do you feel like it does a, d a disservice by giving away too much information? I'm curious. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that there are certain stories that need to be told in order to give more substance to things. And my biggest example of that in this universe would be the Klingons. Um, because when, when we kind of first started seeing them in the original series, they were, <clears throat> I mean, they were just humans that were painted, <laughs> painted a little bit. But when you get in, like with Worf, when Worf uh, became a main character and you started to see the rituals and <clears throat> the the honor code and the stuff with the uh, with the High Council, uh, you know, the war machine, his brother, just how everything sort of, you know, uh, spun out for everybody. That was very interesting for me. I, I actually really enjoyed that. And even some of the stuff with, with the Romulans, which are still relatively mysterious, but we did get um, <laughs> when we brought... When we brought fake Tasha Yar back, alternate reality Tasha, <laughs> Tasha's child, uh, and Spock, you know, going to try and uh, reason with and make peace with the with the Romulan Empire and that whole yeah uh, crazy storyline. Um, but I, I actually think that the Borg were not one that I needed explained all that much. I, I kind of liked, kind of liked in a way that they were they were mysterious for a while that they weren't <clears throat> necessarily fleshed out because again, they're so overpowered that it gave this just, it, it maintained the aura, the aura of horror, uh, that they could, you know, that they could inflict. So I'm not going to say no, don't do it, but I, I guess it was just one of those things that I could have took or left. Okay. So it was just a non sequitur for you. It didn't it didn't really matter one way or another what what they would have done. N no. Uh, uh, here here's the thing, and, and this is just sort of my my belief. I think sometimes when you try and give someone too much of a backstory, you kind of attempt to humanize them to the point where you're trying to uh, gain sympathy for them. But I didn't really want to have sympathy for the Borg as a whole. Now, as for the individuals, I can totally understand that. But I still wanted this sort of, you know, it's always good to just have the one big bad enemy. And that's all I needed for it, mm -hmm. at least from the Borg standpoint. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like you're saying, like this, this humanizing and not really wanting to have this sympathy for this, the big bad or or at least potentially a big bad. And I feel like we kind of got that with, with uh, you know, Species 8472 kind of coming into the game in Voyager. So those were like the, the weird yeah. alien things from, from Star Trek Voyager that lived in what's called fluidic space. And they looked like that weird alien thing on Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. That's the best way I can describe it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking. What's that thing called, by the way? Yeah, I, I know. I know what you're talking about. Um, I can't think of the the name right off the top of my head, but I, I get what you mean. They kind of look like a like a praying mantis 
kind of alien critter. Both both in Star Trek and in Star Wars. So, um, if anyone knows, let us know. Um, but in Star Trek Online, they actually gave him a name, and uh, kind of div- the these the these fluidic space aliens that are like what the Borg fear the most, and they're mm-hmm. very overpowered in Star Trek Online, and they. Yeah, it's it's a hot mess if you ever go up against them in Star Trek Online. If you're not, you know, if you don't have the right attributes and chips and stuff, so just watch out for that. Uh, wow, that was random, but you know, like <laughs> that was kind of it was kind of on topic. No, nah, it was on topic. Yeah, it was mostly on topic, but yeah. This is this is your show. Do what you want. I'm gonna do what I want. <laughs> I mean, I gotta have people to talk with, but I'm gonna do what I want. Um, <laughs> but anyways, like that was the thing that that uh, I enjoyed, but I kind of was like, okay, so maybe the Borg aren't as scary as we think they are because we have species eight four seven two, especially like when we got like some other stories. Yeah with them as well like with taking or having like a mock-up of Starfleet Academy uh, with these folks somehow pretending to be cadets and you know and preparing to try and take over Earth so I don't know like with when that happens do they do they be permanently become less of a threat the Borg that is because that's who we're talking about Yeah, I mean that that's an interesting thought. I mean, when you think of your enemy having a bigger batter enemy, does that then diminish them somehow? Mhm. I don't know. They're still pretty scary. <laughs> They're still pretty scary enemy. We'll have to again. I I'm interested to see if anything if anything more like truly happens with them in Picard. Um I guess I guess the moral of all this story is is that you're you're telling me that I just need to go back and watch Voyager again. So apparently, thanks, appreciate that. You're welcome. There are a total of 34 uh, recorded appearances of the Borg. So six in Next Gen, uh, the DS9 series premiere emissary, of course, the feature film uh, Star Trek: First Contact, 23 episodes of Star Trek Voyager. One one episode of uh, Star Trek Enterprise called Regeneration, and uh, two episodes in Star Trek Picard. So far, the episode in Enterprise that was, they found like a couple of frozen Borg, wasn't it? Yes, and that was from okay, the events yeah. of Star Trek: First Contact. Actually, whenever they yeah they came yeah. down. I actually, I mean, I know that's this isn't the topic of this show, but I actually really enjoyed Enterprise a lot until they started doing the whole Zindi thing, that whole arc. Then it kind of lost me a little bit, but I really did like that show, and it ended really, really poorly. So, did you not like the Zindi story arc because they they changed the theme song to sound more country bumpkin? <laughs> You're you're among friends. You can you can say it's okay. This is a safe space. Hey man, there's nothing wrong with Rod Stewart doing his thing. Just let him do his thing. 
Um, <laughs> n- no. <laughs> it's been a long road. Sing it, man. Come on uh, now. <clears throat> You're taking me back. Um. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't exactly know why I didn't enjoy it more than. <clears throat> I mean, I know some people that really did enjoy it, but I just, I couldn't. I mean, I, I watched it all. I just couldn't get into it because, like, okay. One thing that I like about television is what I just call monster of the week. Um, and there was a lot of Trek did that. You might have had an overarching theme, uh, which culminated in your, your final episode and then your premiere episode of the next season. But <clears throat> sometimes things were a little disjointed from week to week. So monster of the week, uh, problem of the week. I like that kind of TV. Because uh, it allows me to just disconnect and I don't have to think super duper hard all the time. Um, but as soon as they hit that Zindi storyline, it was literally just all about that. And I just, maybe at the time, I just didn't want that. So. Okay. But, you know, and why, why did you have to have like 12 different species and then call them all the same thing? And then you're, fight, you're fighting flies and you're fighting pig people. I'm, that's not but you're just I don't know it, it I, I just had problems with it but you know still very good start I, I really that first season I, I sometimes I still go back and watch that just to see how they how they got out in space and fumbled around for a while yeah yeah well well one thing about uh, we're talking about big bad so were you aware that uh, when it came to Star Trek The Next Generation, that the big bad of the series was intended to be the alien species Ferengi. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the the Ferengi were meant to be the main bad guys for Star Trek Next Gen. Now, correct me if I'm wrong... When was the first time that we saw the we saw the Frangi? It was um, oh geez, I think it was a, a Riker centric episode because he was he was on a planet and they encountered a being and I, I can't remember the being's name and the Frangi just kind of like showed up. Good God, that sounds like I know nothing about the episode. <laughs> <laughs> So they first now that I say it, they first appeared in an episode called "The Last Outpost." Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, and it was the fourth episode uh, of Next Gen. Okay, and they intended the Ferengi to be the big bad guy going forward. Yes, that was the original intent, but they came off as more. Wow comical and just annoying right. instead of menacing, which is what they were hoping for. <laughs> so <laughs> we've all seen the makeup for those dudes in that episode. I mean, giant heads, big ears and weird laser whips. <laughs> I call it a, I call it a, a lightning swatch. Like a, like a lightning slap watch. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was after the 
like some of like the reviews, some of the stuff that was coming in was like viewer reactions to the Ferengi and kind of making them out to be a joke. Now, they certainly had their moments in in The Next Generation oh, yeah. and even in Deep Space Nine. Uh, but it was it was towards the end and even the beginning of season two when they when the creative team was trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? This isn't really working out and we gotta have like some principal bad guy for this crew. Yeah. So that's where we get the Borg. So let me ask you this. If if the Ferengi were intended to be the main bad guys, and then we ended up getting the Borg, do you feel like the Borg was was in fact the replacement? Or or would you argue for a different alien species being the main nemesis for the next gen crew? Goodness. Well, you, you know, when, when, when you were talking about that, I, I, was, I was trying to think because we had one season that was um, uh, a part of a, a, like a writer's lockout or a strikey type Strikey. Year. And w- strikey. Yeah, I make up words sometimes. I like it. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the season finale was the return of the quote return of the Romulans. And then the next season, we got like nothing about the Romulans. It was just kind of dropped. Um, I, 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 again, I, I think, I think the Borg fit in well with the the flow of everything. Obviously, I'm not in Camp Ferengi. I, I mean, aside from Quark, who who did become endearing in Deep Space Nine, <clears throat> I could have really done without <laughs> any of them. To be honest, like some of the some of the episodes just got so silly in DS Nine when like with uh, oh, with their ruler and that brunt guy, it was uh, uh, it was a little cringy. But anyway, um, I always kind of wanted a bigger like a bigger Romulan sort of connection because. Uh, they actually came off as pretty menacing too. They're they're extremely arrogant, and I remember this episode now. They they had found a um, like a I don't know a little space station, and Data had rescued a few uh, folks that were cryogenically frozen from another time. Right, and they brought them aboard and were able to heal them, and you know they're going all nuts because they're in a completely different time and a ship and the one you know, rich guy in his time was thinking it was like a pleasure yacht. So the love boat, the, the whole thing was, is yeah, <laughs> the love boat. Oh my God. Uh, so, but they, they had, they were having outposts destroyed and they had that, you know, face off with the Romulans. And it winds up being that neither one of them knows who's destroying these outposts, but you know, the Romulans being the arrogant people that they are, it's like, we're back. So you sort of had this impending threat and then the Romulans and then all of a sudden it's just like it's gone because it just wasn't didn't seem to be in the plan for the the following season. So that actually was always something that I wanted elaborated on and they never did. Mm -hmm. One thing here, you know, with with the Romulan connection that we were just that you were just bringing up the there was a a something where to go. It was in. there was a, a, a 
like an interview done with one of the creators, like one of the, the people behind the creation of the Borg. And this was, this was said, and I find this kind of interesting. So regarding the creation, the concept of the Borg, what we wanted to, what we really wanted to do, but couldn't because of money was create a race of insects. Insect mentality is great because it's relentless. The Borg are a variation of an insect mentality. They don't care. They have no mercy, no feelings towards you. They have their own imperative, their own agenda, and that's it. If all of them die getting there, they don't care. We needed a villain who could make you dance, and the Borg could do it. And that was Maurice Hurley. And Hurley uh, went on to to uh, kind of talk about this when he's or, or, or when when working on the neutral zone for season one of, of Next Generation. Um, he intentionally made it out to be a plot point that the Federation and Romulan star bases along the Romulan neutral zone had been mysteri- mysteriously wiped out, um, having been, mm-hmm. you know, kind of scooped off the face of the planet in the same way that would later be referenced in in the Borg's debut episode of Q Who. So there was there was a lot of intentionality with this. Like they wanted it to be insects, yeah. but that would have been weird. And you know, even as soon as like the end of of the first season they're already like laying out the breadcrumbs for the Borg to make their entrance so so they were intending that whole plot point to lead to the Borg that's the way that they're laying it out I mean I, I, I guess I mean you make up whatever history you want but all i'm saying is that q had to blast him off you know to get him to where the borg were i mean whatever no it's fine <laughs> hey but i'm just saying you, you didn't want to see an entire race of like say ant people i mean i like ant man that's I mean, a cool movie but know, no you, you just gotta punch him in the thorax or something it'd be great Ooh, that's a fancy smart word good job <laughs> Thorax. <laughs> Thank you. I have to get out my. I have to get out a two dollar word. You know, at least once a day. Oh man, <laughs> man, I don't know if I can afford it. I don't even know if that's a two dollar word. That might be a seventy five cent word. Who knows? Thorax. Man, can you use that in a sentence? But hey, I mean, <laughs> I just did. You got to punch him in the thorax. <laughs> that should be a shirt or something. Punch him in the thorax. <laughs> Someone please create that that design. I would love to see that. Punch him in the thorax. Oh, good grief. Well, yeah, okay, so one of the, the final things um, as we start to maybe, you know, move towards an end with this Borg discussion is this idea of the Borg Queen. So I know that you said not too terribly long ago that Star Trek First Contact is one of, if not your favorite, Star Trek movies. What was your, what is your your thoughts on the Borg Queen and the role that she plays in the Borg Collective? I, you know, I I think, I think that the, you know, the idea of of a of the Queen is is very interesting and obviously you can you can definitely see the the influence of sort of the the insect sort of 
hive mind sort of deal because I mean you, again you're you're centralizing with the queen except in this case the queen is not you know creating everything I mean they're 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 literally just taking what they can assimilate so the the, the one thing that I that I always uh, I always thought about is that so this pursuit of perfection this pursuit of, of uh, including more and more into the hive mind but then the queen is and sometimes you have to suspend some disbelief because um, it all depends on the interpretation of the person doing the part but they are in a sense individuals I mean they're, they're the lead of this but they have personality I mean it, it, it's not like there's just one queen we've met a few queens and it seems a little hypocritical to me that you just have sort of all these little worker drones and and they they're not supposed to have personality you know they're they don't have names they're they're not individuals they're part of the collective and then you have the queen again who's who's got a personality who who can communicate with those around them and is more of sort of like a controlling force and everything. Um, and I'll tell you what, if there, if there's one thing I'll say about all, I mean, any Star Trek appearance of a queen, they make them super creepy. There are some, <laughs> there are some creepy ladies, you know, they just do <laughs> the, the ones that I can remember, especially in first contact, uh, the actress, uh, who played, the queen uh, did, in my opinion, a really phenomenal job of, of kind of, you know, conveying that, <laughs> that part. It was, it was really good. So yeah, they, they are like uber, uber, uber creepy. And I got to give, I, I just got to give some props to the visual effects folks that did what they did mm-hmm. in first contact, like with, and I always butcher her name, but I think it's Alice uh, Krieger, uh, the person that played the the board queen on screen. Um, the way that they had her, like, really from her her shoulders up, just be detached and like land. And I know that was part animatronics and part like real actor, but like the way that they did that was just so seamless and so very well done. Yeah. But it was creepy yeah, sure. as heck. Creepy as heck, like you're saying. Especially, like, mixing in uh, some I'll, of that I'll sensuality t- stuff that, that she was doing, too. Like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that was... It, it, and again, I, I'm I'm not quite sure where that's exactly coming from. Because it, it, it does kind of seem like, you know, she wanted more out of Picard than a drone. I mean, she, she said that. Um, and it, it almost kind of makes you wonder if she had potentially like a different vision for, for the Borg. Maybe, maybe she did want a couple of, or at least just one that wasn't a drone. Do do you think, do you think the Queens get lonely? I mean, she basically said so with, with the conversation she had with Picard in First Contact. Yeah. It, 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 again, that that that's it. it the, these are the little things that keep 
plugging into my mind. It's like the the queen is. It's so different. They're so different from the rest of this collective, and and you, you gotta gotta wonder about that. You gotta wonder if if that's an evolution of of uh, of a Borg, or if it's just if it's just something different within the hierarchy. But yeah, the. <laughs> the sensuality and then you remember she's basically just a just a, a metallic spine and a headpiece well here <laughs> on a machine body well here's the thing that's interesting so like you know studying and looking up stuff about the Borg queen uh, whether there is in fact just one that is tapped into the trillions upon trillions of Borg drones or there are multiple queens uh, you know one instance of the Borg Queen is that they were assimilated at age 7 mm-hmm. and, and being part of species uh, 125 so it makes you wonder like do you can you get promoted I guess like that kind of makes me wonder like if you're a drone and you do you follow what I'm saying like if you're assimilated at a young age you grow up, you become a drone, or do you just become a queen at a young age? Yeah, or, or yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Borg promotion. Oh my goodness. I just, I'm commander, <clears throat> you know. Hey, just wanted to come up and, and tell you that we really noticed that you've been doing some really good work, and uh, we'd like to to give you an opportunity to, to lead the collective with the, the hive mind. We think you do a great job. You'll get a personality and a fancy new suit. It'll be great. Oh, by the way, we can help you. Yeah, I, we can I don't teach know. you teach you how to make an android a real human being. It'll be great. <laughs> oh God. You, you know, I I actually kind of I kind of think that the idea of finding somebody specific that they just know or identify as a queen more so than promotion I mean just if we're being realistic I kind of feel like that's a little bit more in the groove like I don't know what would be different but maybe there's just something different about one particular assimilant and they they see it and they see this 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 person and it's like you know what you know beep boop boop beep algorithm algorithm uh that that one would be a good queen Mm -hmm. um but I do enjoy the I do enjoy the idea of, of workplace promotion, just standing around the water cooler and you get the call up to the office. Oh my god, they're going to make me queen. You go, girl. Just think of it now. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Resistance is futile. <laughs> think of the Borg Queen who came up with that slogan. Okay, everybody, we're gonna have to get a new slogan. Death to all just doesn't seem to be getting it over. So what do you got? Uh, resistance is futile. Oh, oh my goodness, let's do it. <laughs> You're queen. You can't resist us. <laughs> <laughs> you can't resist us. <laughs> Not quite right, but I like where your head is. <laughs> uh, one of us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Sounds a little too creepy. <laughs> um, make perfection real again. Make perfection real. <laughs> My God, that could go on a trucker hat. 
has to be like gray. I think like a gray palette would be good. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Oh yeah. But here, yeah, okay. So as we're talking about the queen, um, one of the, one of the statements that she makes in Star Trek: First Contact is, uh, and she's saying this to Data, if I'm not mistaken. Once he's first captured in this movie, uh, he's kind of trying to understand like who she is and like the role that she plays more or less and the response that she provides is I am the beginning the end the one who is many I am the Borg yeah and you just gotta think like that's that's pretty creepy and it I mean we've already established that it's creepy but the thing that I'm kind of curious once again about is if if the Borg Queen was in fact an individual and they and she claims to be you know an individual or potentially is an individual does that mean that she has the most sad and terrifying story more than other drones because she had her individuality and now she now she just is the one that's bringing order to chaos for the Borg <sighs> we're getting all existential yeah, that's, yeah I mean that's definitely something to think about um, yeah I mean could, could could she have just could she have been a need like I mean could, a collective, you know, you're all part of the collective, but the collective can still, I mean, I would still assume that they can still think that there's still some, some ideas going around it. I mean, it, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe I'm trying to throw too many human values into, into something that was, you know, kind of written in an insectoid sort of way, but maybe at some point the, the collective identified a need for something more individual. I mean, do you, do you think that, uh, do you think that they always had a queen that was like this, or maybe they just had a queen that was like a button pusher or something? All right, queen. I want to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to press some buttons. <laughs> if you press this button every day, everyone will keep going. They keep press going and going and going and going. Freaking Energizer Bunny, man. Oh. That's right. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, again, it, it's just it goes back to the whole thing where it, it seems like a bit of a leap that you would have somebody that different from everything else that just crops up and says, "I am the Borg." But was that always the way the Borg? You know, like the direction that the Borg were going was her direction, or if I don't know, maybe maybe it was something different beforehand. Uh, I don't know. Now now people are probably like, oh, now you want the backstory, don't you? Oh, you, you want to hear more. <laughs> Go read the comics <laughs> and the books. <laughs> <laughs> it's not canon anyways, but it'll, it'll, no. it'll take care of that appetite, that curiosity. <laughs> All right. Well, we have sufficiently just gone way off the rails, so this is great. It's fantastic. So we're gonna we'll certainly continue this conversation 
uh, here in uh, about a month or so. Um, so I, I've kind of teased it out before, but um, in April, April 5th, in fact, is uh, the day that first contact happens with the Vulcan. So I'm already planning on doing a special first contact episode to where we're going to talk about that, some history with first contact and the role that the Borg played, which we've we've talked about um, for the most part tonight, but we're going to kind of maybe cover more specific bits of it as it relates to the movie and the role that they played in first contact. So um, anyway... Uh, any any other like thoughts or comments or anything about this or anything connected to this, David? Well, I have one comment. If you're going to do a first contact episode, we'll have to, uh, you know, grab some terrible whiskey and play uh, some Roy Orbison on the jukebox Let's and, you know, it. just get down like Zeph from Cochran. Let's do it. Let's do it. That'd be great. No, no, but I, I think I think uh, I think we went over a lot there. It's it is it's it's been a fun conversation. Just uh, you know, kind of thinking a little bit more in depth of terrifying enemies of the galaxy. Yeah, and the thing now the only question that does remain though, could the Borg cube defeat the Death Star? Yes, it could actually. <laughs> yes, I believe it could as well. <laughs> I mean, because it would adapt. It would adapt to the firepower of the Death Star, and it would learn how to Only has one weapon how to maximize it, and it would just shoot it right back at that Death Star and the second Death Star. So, boom. <laughs> I I have I have a I have a photograph that proves this, so it means it's it's legit. Well, it's totally legit if you have a photograph. I do, I do. It's like a cartoon and everything. It's great. It's like legit. <laughs> Excellent. But um, yeah, like with with the 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 Borg Queen, like we just talked about, the Borg Queen was was kind of created out of necessity um, because you know how do you uh, just use like this collective voice that you kind of hear on screen to to interact with? So it was made out of necessity for the first contact film to have this Borg Queen this person that can represent this thing, this species, this whatever that can represent the Borg so that it wouldn't just be basically talking to a computer the entire time. Cause that's really what it was going to end up being more or less was just talking to some disembodied voice, some like kind of voiceover type of thing. So very interesting. And, and we'll talk more about that uh, in that, you know, later April episode that I'm kind of teasing right now and kind of talked about that with Lisa on her podcast and uh, anyway, uh, we mentioned it last time um, that you were on. Uh, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between each other, each other's shows. Um, but I'm sure we have Star Wars fans, believe it or not, that are also Star Trek fans. So, um, you know, what do you got? What do you got planned for some upcoming episodes? If you're, you know, willing and able to tease that, and not only that, but how can they, you know, interact with you? Oh, yeah. Um, coming up, we are going to do some diving into Project Luminous, which is, we now know, is going to be the continuation of the book series, diving into what we are calling the High Republic. 
Uh, so that should be a lot of fun, a lot of great writers there. <clears throat> so a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion coming up there. Uh, season two of The Mandalorian is not that far away. Uh, we have, you know, the Cassian Andor series <clears throat> that'll eventually be here. Uh, the Kenobi series. So it's actually a pretty rich time for Star Wars, and there's a there's a ton of content that we have uh, coming up. We're actually right now doing an episode by episode as they come out of the new season of Clone Wars. So if you're uh, kind of into uh, some of the animated series that were going on, uh, Clone Wars is happening right now, and we're doing those, usually dropping them on Saturday. Uh, but uh, still going through some comics as we can, although that's been a little delayed just due to sickness. So tons of stuff, but if you want to find us, uh, Twitter is a great place, at TC Plan Podcast, and you can find the podcast on all... Well, anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. For sure. Well, sweet. And uh, you've been a very gracious guest. And uh, I just want to say for anyone that hasn't had a chance to listen to your podcast that uh, you do you do a very good job. And I enjoy listening to you and, and your brother. And I want to wish you, you guys well as you continue to produce great content. So uh, we're, we're a small podcast. And... You know, just go check them out. Give, give them a listen, um, especially if you like Star Wars. You you won't be disappointed. So, well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate all your content too. You, you do uh, you do a great job between this and and uh, reframed as well. I I do what I can, <laughs> but thank you, thank you very much. Uh, so with that, guys, we are at the end of our time for today as we talk about the Borg. Um, this for this edition of These Are the Voyages. And um, we'll have some more stuff coming out here pretty soon. Make sure you keep your ears peeled for uh, some Engage episodes, some TRTV news. Uh, remember, we, we do our best to have TRTV news coming out weekly on Fridays and um, Engage episodes, which are, are reaction episodes to uh, current Star Trek television. So uh, next episode will be up on Sunday. Uh, that will be the, uh, the 1st of March. So make sure you check that. That'll be episode six and make sure you're watching it on CBS All Access. Again, thank you, David, for for being a guest today. Uh, If you guys want to get in contact with us, um, you can do that. Just make sure that you open hailing frequencies. You can connect with us uh, through social media, all at TRTVPod. Um, And you can send us a message uh, by entering in coordinates TRTVPod at gmail.com. You can also... Uh, send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode. Now, finally, if you want to you know, use long-range, very, very long-range communications, you can send us stuff using subspace communication buoys. Uh, make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station by entering in coordinates P.O. Box 2455, Azle, Texas. That's A-Z-L-E, 76098. Guys, as always, thank you so much for uh, journeying with us, for voyaging with us. Uh, We love you. We care about you. We're grateful to have you as listeners. And as always, may you boldly go and make it so.